live from the Golden Circle Sports Book and Bar inside the Treasure Island Hotel and Casino. It's Throw the Flag. What is the NFL's love affair with Marshawn Lynch? With your hosts, Gooch. Why do we love Marshawn Lynch? And Willie Ramirez. You know what? It's like he's a cartoon character. Yes. On ESPN Las Vegas. But then he admitted to stealing the vehicle. That was classic. Yes. Which just goes to show you that he is forever young. There you go. Throw the flag back again down here at the Golden Circle Sportsbook inside the TI Treasure Island. Gooch, Willie Ramirez, every single Saturday we do this 9 to 11, and we have a lot of fun doing it. We break down Las Vegas sports, we break down sports in general, and we just like to have a good time. Isn't that right, Willie? Well, we break down sports, but, we, you know, I, I, I kind of think that we add a little entertainment value and we try to, you know, maybe break down one another and, 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 and life and culture and society and have a little fun outside the sports world while bringing it into us. There you go. It's about us. It, well, That's what we want to tell you. Yeah. It's always about <laughs> It's us. about us, guys. Come on. It's, it's how we can flex our ego. Uh, but we were just uh, – I posted something yesterday, and you actually brought this up. So – I haven't brought. I don't know if I've said this on the air yet. I'm going to be a father. Yeah. A new father. It's my very first child. I'm 43 years old, so I'm going to be old dad. And I asked a question online, I believe, and it was, "What was the first thing you thought when you had your when your first child came into existence? Like, why? When I knew he was coming, or when when he was when born? You, okay, when you knew he was coming, when you found out he was coming. Because again, I haven't held him. I, you know, this is in December is is when he's due. So right now I'm just kind of going through the speculation phase. But you're, but you're an experienced dad. You have like a full-grown man. He's got a business. He's doing things. So you succeeded. So what was the first thing that you thought of when you first, found, when you first heard the news? When I first heard the news, I knew in my heart it was a boy. Yeah. Because I, I got a jump start sort of on adulthood. At 17, I was hitting the nightclub. So a lot of my friends were four, five, six years older than me. So they were having kids when I turned 19, 20, right? I would always watch their kids, and a lot of them have boys. So they used to always say, man, when Willie has a kid, he's, he's destined to have a son. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, and, and they would, there were times where I didn't go out or they would go different places or um, I could get into specific night spots when I was 17, but some spots no. So I would stay home on nights. They wanted to go out, and I would be the babysitter. Right. And I would watch their kids. And um, I just – there, for whatever reason, just you know, I just had a, a knack for taking care of kids, and I just loved uh, that a father son relationship. And so, the second that Jordan's mother said she was pregnant, I said, "Okay, we're gonna have, I'm gonna have, we're gonna have a son. It's, right. it's a done deal." How old were you? I was let's see when I I, I was 26 when he was born, and I had turned 27 later that year. Okay, so when I found out, I was 26. Yeah, yeah. And the first thing I thought of, or as we progressed and then we knew as a boy and when he was born, all I kept thinking was, I will provide him what I never had my entire life. And that was a father figure um, present at all times to look up to, to, to take, to, to go do things with. I'll never miss a moment of anything. It'll be, I mean, I was showing off outfits and Nikes when he was still in the womb. <laughs> I had outfits set up. I was, I mean, it was, you know. Um, pressed, I assume. This is you we're talking about. Yes. Just a pressed onesie. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so it was, you know, I, um, my mom and my father, they, 
they they were they split when I was six months old, and we moved to Las Vegas in '72, and I barely saw him. And then when my mom met my stepdad, he was he's a nice man, and he was a good husband to my mom, but wasn't necessarily parental material. And so it was in in a sense where how I consider you know it's one thing to parent and it's one thing to raise. You know, you parent. You provide the roof, the, the famous phrase, right? I put a roof over your head. I put a hot meal in front yeah. of you. Yeah, okay, great. But that's what you're supposed to do. You're you're a parent, and or otherwise don't have a kid. Right. To raise it, you know, you you you, you, you if you have a son or any kid, son or a daughter, you enroll it in activities it wants to do, whether it's athletics or anything. And I never got to do that. I never I never did anything. I was never taken to like pro. Lived in two pro sports cities. Didn't get to go do those types of things. I couldn't wait to get Jordan into activities. You know what I mean? 18 months in like this jungle gym activity. And at 36 months, three years old, he was in this thing called Teeny Weeny Sports. Eight-week programs, going there, treating it like it was literally getting shirts, getting numbers put on it, getting, making my own plaques and pictures for the kids. Um, then in Little League, and at whatever point I put my journalism career aside and was able to do things because online – there was such an online presence with so much that you could do that I was able to do things where I could just work from home. And so once he became of age where he could go do activities on a regular basis, Taekwondo, on a, he was doing Taekwondo on a national Olympic-style level, um, Little League in town, eventually flag football and tackle football. I was at – I've said this before. If in all the events he's ever done, in anything he's done, Taekwondo, Little League, flag football, tackle football um, – wrestling in high school, professional bodybuilding, whatever, I could count on both hands and don't need them both to how many events I missed. Right. And that was important to me. So I just all it was all about what I wanted to provide to him that I never had my entire life. And not only that, it was just just the message you were conveying to him. I just think that's so important in a young man's life to let to, to know that you have this father figure that is always going to be there because I always kind of look at it this way, like a mother is supposed to, a father is supposed to push the child forward and then a mother is supposed to cushion the blow. You know, it kind of, it kind of feels like that. See, I was raised primarily by my mom. My stepdad came into my life at 10 years old and he's great. He was, he was great. But, um, but yeah, it's like, I, I kind of noticed that the guys that did have their dad in their lives, they, they just, there was something that I realized that I was missing, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I, Basically, I'm just going to take the same exact approach that you had, where it's like that's where my mindset is at. Like right now, somebody was asking, you know, if, if you were wanted, if I wanted a boy or a girl, and the first thing that came into my mind was, I just hope he's, I just hope the child's born without a tail. Yeah. You know, like it's like that's pretty much right. Just don't have a tail, don't have horns or whatever, and I think I'll be happy. And but when I found out that I was having a boy, because it was just, it was just such a shock. I'm 43 years old. I didn't think it was going to happen. I really didn't think it was going to happen. And then. And then it happens. Now I'm like, oh, great. You know, remember the game when the kid was like, my dad can beat up your dad. Well, I'm yeah. going to be super old. So yeah. I'm going to have to, like, <laughs> yeah. hire somebody to beat up some other kids. I, you know, and I, I was, you know, and I was raised, you know, like I said, for the most part by my mom till my stepdad came around. But still, it's, it was different. I don't know. You know, you move around. We went from Vegas to, to Plantation, Florida. We went to Florida to Minneapolis. And, you know, I missed a few years, and it was during some crucial times where you sort of needed that father figure to be, to oversee and push and, you know, and do the things that dads do, I guess, um, because 
it was, you know, when I went to junior high school here, they were still called junior highs, um, you know, there's the cliques, and it was a small population in the school, and we were we were the clique, man. We, we, went from, we went from elementary schools in Vegas were K through 5. Then there were 6th grade centers, and then there were 7th, 8th, ninth junior high. There was no freshman in high school. It was 10, 11, 12. Right. So the, I went to 6th um, grade center, and then the year I w- transferred to – or the year I went into middle, uh, to junior high, it was 7, 8, 9, and I was in 7th grade. The next year was the first year they implemented 6, 7, 8. So I went from being the bottom of the total pole in, at Fremont Junior High – to, we were the oldest, and we were the clique, right? We were the crew. And so I had to leave that and go to Florida to finish my, where they were already middle schools, finish that out there, and I was literally back then the kick-me sign on the back. Oh, that was me when I moved sp- to Vegas. Sp- hit, spit on, hit, you know, just just terrorized and then we went and then then you settle in and i got to go to a brand new high school it's called western high school the western high school wildcats and i found it ironic because there was a western in vegas and the school i was going to go to was the las vegas high school wildcats so i was like oh wow okay so it was cool started meet people december we moved to minneapolis started all over a year of torture as the new kid all over again eventually met some kids but it's it just wasn't the same by then it's like okay i missed the boat in learning training and how to be you know to to do athletics and that was my thing man when i was a little kid i was all into football i used to you know watch monday night football religiously sundays watching brent musburger and brian gumbel so i was all i loved sports and i played pop warner football twice never got to play it again mom felt like okay i've done my part right basically what i just heard was is Move out of Vegas and be miserable. That's what I heard. You just basically just <laughs> gave us the greatest yeah. tourism video that this, this city could have ever used. Right. And, you know, and this because this is my town, right? So right. I moved out. And then and the thing is, my stepdad did work for the airlines. So uh, we flew for five bucks. Right. All right. On standby. So I was home. Like, I never felt like I moved from Vegas. I just didn't get to go to school here with my friends because I was back every other month or every month and then every summer. I'd either come in, and at that point, you know, I had made contact with my father, and, and he was, my father was, like, never distant from me. It just, he had started a whole new life with, right. with, the, with my stepmom and her kids, and, you know, so, I mean, they're more his kids than I am his, and I accept that. I'm cool with that. Um, we didn't get close till I was 21, and um, I would come in town still. You know, and then when we finally came back, it was my senior year, and the whole west end of town was built up. There was no – when I left, Flamingo stopped at the 15. When I got back, Flamingo got, went to Tanea, and then it was desert from there. And when I moved to Spring Valley. So, um, yeah, it was it, – this, is, this, is, this has always been home, and it's funny that we bring this up because later in the show, we are going to talk about how I had to defend Las Vegas, our hometown – in the fact that uh, I was on Canadian radio. I'm just going to leave it at that. Early, okay. Er, earlier this week. To did talk you put about, those poutine eaters in their place? I had to. <laughs> yes, I did have to. So, but we're live down here at Treasure Island Sportsbook, uh, Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Gooch and yours truly, Willie Ramirez. Jed to my left. Demon handling things in the booth. Quarterback in this thing today. Get down here. The lines are up. And, of course, the Raiders are playing in Miami Laying one, total of 41 and a half. Kickoff is at 4 o'clock. We got shirts. We got tickets. Hey, and uh, 
We are going to be at Twin Peaks every single Monday this season, starting September 12th. So I got a gift card for Twin Peaks. We'll talk about that in a little bit. We got some great guests lined up for the show. Vic Tafer is going to be on with us in a little bit. He covers the Raiders for The Athletic. And in the second hour, we have Savannah Horvath, a former uh, softball star. When I say star, on a national level, she played uh, professionally, and she is one of the Vegas Divas. We had last, year, we had, last week we had the DJ on. This week we got one of the Golden Knights cheerleaders. So we're off and running. We will be back with you, Gooch and Willie, in just a moment. I didn't think you had it in you. I'm your huckleberry. Why, Johnny Ringo, you look like somebody just walked over your grave. Uh Throw the flag. Back again from the Golden Circle Sportsbook at the Treasure Island. Gooch, Willie Ramirez, and here's my favorite part of the show. It's the segment that's named after the show, Throw the Flag. This is where we find some stories. They could be sports-related. They might not be. But they're basically weird is the only way, is the best adjective I could use to describe them. So let's just jump right into it. So recently, Nebraska head coach Scott Frost claims that at his practices, he has 15 to 20 Cornhuskers vomit after each practice. And he sees this as a good thing. Willie. Well, (laughs) uh, it's probably not a good thing, but I think the – the reason he's putting it out there the way he's putting it out there is he's trying to send a message that he's teaching an old-school way of coaching. I just brought this up, and I can't remember where it was, when it, if it was on, on one of the shows. I'm, you know, I, I'm so lost now. But where I remember a time where, you know, and I come from a time, and I just mentioned previously that I got to play Pop Warner for two years. And... uh I remember those were the times when you were grabbed by the face mask and led across the field to where you were supposed to. No, you missed your assignment. You're supposed to be here. And they drug you by your face this mask. This is Pop Warner. This is Pop Warner. Yeah. This was my first year Mighty Might. Dan Heilman was the coach. I'll never forget. And I'll never forget. It was like one of the first few weeks. And then we were doing the Dead Man's Alley, whatever. There's so many different names from it, right, where you have to get through. and yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And it was brand new to me. I loved football. I mean, I played street football, light pole football, nerf football, you name it. I played with the older kids, whatever. But this was my first year in tackle football. So those first few weeks, getting used to getting, you know, just pummeled going up against somebody, right? And we were going, and I can't remember who I was up against, but I know I was getting my ass kicked. And he was like, we are not taking a water break until Ramirez gets this right. Now, these days, the old drill sergeant. Oh yeah, these days, man, with CTE and you know you can't do this and you can't do that and you got to treat them this and you got to treat them. That's the old school way of coaching. I mean, you know that's so. I think that's the message he's getting across. That being said, it's probably not good that they're vomiting afterwards. I know Jordan, my son, at the gym sometimes he'll post if he's training somebody and it's leg day or he's doing uh, hit workouts and they end up puking. He'll ask them what the, where they were the night before. He'll ask them because, you know, the training is, is regimented, but it can cause you – but it's generally on your condition. What what are you – you know, are you hydrating properly? Are you fueled properly? So there's a combination of things that go into that. The fact that he's got 15 to 20 Cornhuskers vomiting after each practice and we're one week out 
from the start of the season. I'd like to know what shape they're in, if they're properly hydrated. Do they need some electrolytes? What's going on? Well, he was just talking about uh, their offensive line coach, Donovan Rayola. He was the one that's pushing these guys to go so hard. And Scott Frost's answer was, it's not because they're not in shape. He's just working them hard. So, again, this isn't the fact that these guys have been staying out late, maybe eating the wrong food, drinking maybe a couple of beers before they go to bed the night before. It's just because of one grown man just forcing these kids as hard as 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 they can. And it kind of makes you ask the question, like, what is – what would be the best coaching style? Would it be the style that is used today where a little more coddling, you definitely can't grab them by the face mask. I mean, the Bobby Knight days are over. Or was it the Bobby Knight days where it was ran like the military? Like, who's going to be in their place? Who's going to make sure that they get the snap count right? Who's going to be jumping off sides? I mean, what what do you think works the best? I mean, like, can we – is there a graph? Is there a, a stat that we could find? I don't know if there's a stat. I, 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 think, I think one of the things you have to be concerned with, you hear nowadays, you know, with heat exhaustion or, or players, you know, getting really ill or dying, you yeah. know, especially like in Las Vegas or places like Las Vegas or Phoenix or Tucson, you know, dry desert places. You know, you're talking about a, hu- a humid spot. Um, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's very tough. It, it really is. I mean, one fan said in the article you happened to share, it said, yeah, this is not good for athletes. No way can they be in top physical shape and ready to perform if they are puking that much in practice. How ridiculous. When you get your body to vomit in training, it's not training anymore. Your body is in flight mode and not making progress. Those were two fans that wrote in response to tweets. So here's the thing. Um, in a sense. They did their research on that. One. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> if, you're, if, you're, if you're pushing the players until they puke, then you're, then yeah, you, if that's the reason, it's kind of like a, it's like the mean, the mean parent or the mean, you know, person, the toxic person in the relationship that's going to, it's instead of just making the point, they're going to go until you cry. If you're doing it with a purpose, then you're not doing your job. If what you're doing is supposed to get them in shape to get them ready for the season, then Frost is wrong in saying they're in top physical right. condition if they were in top physical condition and they were being coached and trained properly they shouldn't be pushed to the point of vomiting it does kind of sound like that's when practice stops they're like all right we're gonna quit when, when martinez vomits and go it's right. you know like that's the ending point the other the other story that we ended up finding was uh this is coming to us out of england and i don't know how to properly say this but uh they were playing rugby and one of the players on the rugby side tackles a guy and then he puts his fingers in the opponent's bum. Now, that's what it said on the headline. That's the headline. And then it said, it's not the first time. Now, just to give you an example of what I'm talking about, this guy, they tackle this guy, and the one guy that tackles him takes his hand like, okay, you know how when you make a shadow puppet of a duck? Yeah. He makes his hand like that and then just jams it into the guy's starfish like, oh, my God. And – there was no whistle. They kept on playing. And then you're like wondering yourself, like, are they going to review this? Is this guy, if anything, if anybody should be getting an 11-game suspension and a $5 million fine, it's this guy. Now, I can't remember what it was called. Jed, turn your mic up there, buddy. Did you, didn't you, when you were in high school, did you say you wrestled or just played football? I was a baseball guy. You were a baseball guy. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I was off on that one. All right. <laughs> I remember. Now, here's the thing. He got it, the other the guy who got 
Yeah. He um, the one who needs therapy. He got up and got. Yeah. He got up and la- laughed. They both were laughing, but. Here's the thing. Laughing. Well, it looks like they're <laughs> laughing. I'm watching the video. Unless he might be, it might be one of those laughs where it's just kind of like, "Are you kidding me? Did this no, just happen?" No. Here's the thing. The position that he was in, it's almost. Now, here's the thing. When Jordan started wrestling, I use the experience when he was wrestling at Arborview High School. That's a move. If you cannot get them to go, everything so that they'll because you you'll make a fist. So you're talking about the duck shape with the hand. You'll yeah. make a fist and grind that that your uh, knuckle. your knuckle in in between the two areas down there, and it put and, and they're going to they're going to buckle in, and then they, then you can maybe you can do a reversal. You can, but yeah, that was and that was part of the norm. Here's what's here's what's even crazier. When the girls started, because now it's a very predominant. You know, it, 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 excuse me, let me change that. It's not predominantly girls, but there's there's a good. Um, participation rate of females, of females now. In wrestling. It became predominantly, the uptick was predominant in that time when Jordan was wrestling, where girls more and more. Coaches would tell the parents and let them know, that's a normal move, I just want you to know. There's no like, hey, you can't do that because she's a female. Because at the time, it was female versus male. There weren't enough females. Now that they have, they have girls wrestling, so if they are good enough, they'll compete against the boys. I've known several. There's one girl who's an All-American, two-time uh, world, uh, national champ in college, Peyton Prussen, who beat the boys. So that was a normal move. So I'm assuming the way that, that, that there was no penalty, they got up and moved, that's a way to generate sort of a takedown. And it looked like it was part of the norm. Well, that was the thing. The guy was already down. He was already down. Well, he, he was, was on top of the ball. So, you know, I'm, I'm not 100% sure how rugby is played. So the guy is on top of the ball. Right. And they're trying to get the ball out from under him. And that's when the event took place. You know, and it's crazy because, you know, you're, you're saying that that's like a, a, a standard wrestling It's a move. maneuver. Yeah, it's a standard. And it's also the same way to get a pit bull from biting you. Okay, or to get a pit bull off of you from when he's biting you, you take your fingers and jam it in there. So it's like <laughs> this story. So I'm looking at it, and he, it looks like they're in the they're in the motion of getting him. I don't know what when it's considered down. If the whistle wasn't blown, where you get up and throw the ball, do whatever you do. I don't know the rules or whatever, but uh, yeah, I'm looking at it. There were two defenders, and as he's down on the knee, he's down. It's like it's like he's still fighting and bat. So here's what happened. I'm watching. He fell flat on his body, and now he's starting to get back up. So he's fighting the down position. So as he come back up, maybe the ref was waiting to, to whistle to see if he was going to get up. He he applied that maneuver to drop him, and then the whistle was blown. <laughs> so it looks like it's part of the norm in rugby to – as the headline reads, stick your fingers in an opponent's bum. Yeah. You were talking about a knuckle in there during yeah. wrestling. Yeah. And it's just like this is different though. This is this has velocity. You're digging. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is this is not only digging, this is poking, this is jamming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, and that's gonna be that the effect is getting you down. <laughs> That'll it's gonna drop you. They need to put this in a Gatorade commercial or something just to let everyone know. What these athletes have to go through just to be the best. Like, are you willing? Are you willing to go through this in order for you to hike that cup over your head or whatever trophy you want to hike over your head? Are, is this what you're willing to do for victory? Is it, what you got to ask. It, it, appear, it appears that it's if you if you're a, a pro that you already know what comes with it. 
and you're willing to be a part of the bum tactic. I do have to ask, though, is that something that they tell players in the, in the rugby? They're like, look, guys, get out there. If you get something in your bum, just walk it off. Like, <laughs> just, 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 just listen. Yeah, don't worry about the goose. Yeah, rub some dirt There's on a, it. Get back out there. I'm gonna. I got to put some text messages out on the break because I I want to find out what it was called, what the maneuver might have been called in wrestling. Gosh, when I saw you put that headline, the very first thing I remember it being called, but I don't know, was the gooch. Yeah, Goochum. not goose. Gooch. Yeah, Gooch, yeah. So you may be a wrestling I, maneuver in the bum. I may be a wrestling mo- maneuver. Oh, this is going to go in the open, and I don't like it. But it's going <laughs> to next week's open. <laughs> Willie got me. <laughs> this is going to be how we ramp into next week's show. <laughs> well, we definitely are off and running. Um, <laughs> Jesus. We're throwing up. We got fingers in the bum. I like to We're pour at, a little gasoline We are at show. Treasure Island for throw the flag. Listen. As I mentioned before, Cofield and Company at Twin Peaks in Henderson every Monday from 2 to 5 p.m. starting 9 to 12, running through the football season. I will host the post-show remote until 7 o'clock with prizes, giveaways, Twin Peaks, fantastic kitchen, 375 22-ounce Miller Lite or Coors Light on Mondays, $5 Modelo's on Mondays, three ninety-nine shots all day, every day. And the $9.99 Peaks Sampler Platter on Mondays. That's starting September 12th and running through the football season, 2 to 5 p.m., Cofield and Company, Twin Peaks. And I'll be there for a couple hours afterwards with prizes and giveaways. So make sure you come out there. All right, check it out. When we get back, we are going to talk to Vic Tafer from The Athletic, the Raiders. They are 2-0 and in the preseason. Loving it. They are in Miami tonight. I don't know if Darren Waller is there or he's here to watch the Aces game, but what I do know is Vic is up next on Throw the Flag at Treasure Island Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm focused on, on playing right now. Uh, my agent handles that. Whatever's going on there is whatever's going on there, but whatever the outcome is of that, I'm here. I'm playing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, makes me want to slap someone. Yeah, right. We are back. Little sounds of Will Smith and Miami. Why? Because, well, the Raiders are in Miami for preseason game number three in week two. Gooch and Willie throw the flag on ESPN Las Vegas here at Treasure Island. Golden Circle, Sportsbook and Bar. Joining us now from The Athletic, my guy, Vic Tafer. Vic, what's happening? What's up, boss? How you doing? What's going on? What's going on? So the big question, obviously, is... Is Darren Waller going to be at the game, or is he going to be at the basketball game tonight? Where, what, what's, what's going on? What's your take on all this? Uh, my take is that you know Darren, I think, is a tight relationship with Mark Davis, so I think he definitely go to both. I'm sure he can make a transition one, come away to the other. He's not going to play, so I'm not too worried about Darren Waller. I think um, at some point they're going to do right by him, give him a contract. I think if not, you know, I think he'll play in there and probably. Money this year guaranteed in the workout, but I'm not worried about Darren Waller being a holdout and not playing uh, this season. That's and I've been I've been saying that too for the past couple of weeks that I think that there's an understanding. My personal belief, Vic, what I've been saying is this: is that they pulled him aside. They said, "Look, we have X amount of money sitting there that we can use, but we have to wait for some cuts to go through. We got to see what we're going to do with the offensive line." 
we need to solidify some things in the trenches. Once we know what we're doing, you're going to be taken care of. And he's fine with that. But as we progressed, maybe he's being a little cautious. There's an understanding right back. And rather than a hold out, there's a hold in. And at some point, we're going to see him taking care of it. And I think that they're just waiting to see, after, especially after the second week of cuts. At the very least, at some point, they'll take care of his guarantee this year. He won't play with no money guaranteed. That would be foolish. That's why I think there's no need to get him out there every day at training camp preseason. But I think at some point, at the very least, they'll take care of his guarantee this year, and we'll, we'll see what happens. All right, so before we get into tonight's game, a review of the Vikings game, your thoughts – um, and then what you saw, what you read, what you sort of um, observed over the course of from practice with your colleague, Tashawn Reed, from practice. But your review from last week. I'll try to make a big reality because, you know, I know that was the running game. They got run, they got run against pretty good. But pretty much these players who are going to be starting for them against players who are going to be in the league. So I'm not too concerned about that. I thought there were other decent signs. The quarterback play was fine. Some guys made plays in defense, so I think you have to look at those positives. Hopefully, guys like Luke Masterson can get another step up in this game tonight. So the Raiders actually have kept it clean in the preseason as far as penalties are going. Uh, just 10 penalties in two games, and they haven't committed any turnovers. Does that speak – how much does that speak about the new coaching staff? Yeah, I think it's a good sign. I think definitely the positives you can take from this preseason are that. The clean play, they've definitely been a nice tempo – on offense, you see the stress and fundamentals. So I think it's hard, again, it's hard to make huge you know, takeaways from the preseason, but those are all positives. Definitely the coaching staff has come in and kind of stressed the basics, and so far it looks like it's uh, taken hold. And what do you think about the Derek Carr, Devontae Adams connection? How has that looked in practice? Is it everything that every Raiders fan has been hoping and dreaming for? Yeah, it is. I mean, like, I mean they know each other so well. They've been playing catch for, I don't know, 10, 15 years, they definitely know where he wants the ball, what routes work, how they can adjust your routes. So you've seen the practice. There's definitely a certain chemistry that Carr doesn't have with everybody. There's some guys you definitely trust. So I think there's no reason why they won't have a big year this, this season. On the, so and a lot of us have been talking about, I mean, the day-to-day beat guys and, and Tashawn. Tashawn does such a thorough job. Um, you know, your colleagues, Tashawn Reed at The Athletic. Um but for the most part, the, 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 the big headlines, the conversations over the first few weeks of, of uh, camp has been, you know, the, the quarterbacks, the wide receivers, the, the, the very impressive what it looks to be a deep running back core, the offensive line. There ne- hasn't necessarily been, like, overwhelming talk of the defense. You asked about the defense this past. You asked Josh McDaniels, what are you seeing in terms of where you still have some question marks and you're wondering, are they going to be okay in that area? Yeah, I think there are some question marks up front, but, uh, you know, they got uh, Java Hankins and Bilal Nichols back this week from injuries. That's a huge deal. I think the uh, secondary, Rockerson's back in the secondary now he's banged up for a while. So the pieces they wanted in place, the pieces they trust will be good once the year starts. Are back, so I think there's the um, you know, plus they have Chandler Jones and Max Crosby, so that's a good, uh, a good starting point. So during the game, are we going to be able to see the starting quarterbacks? Have you heard anything coming out of Miami, and have you heard if, if Derek Carr is going to be taking some snaps? Now, Josh is good about keeping his uh, cards close to the best. I mean, I think we asked him, uh, he's going to play the starters. He's like, Well, I told you who the starters are, so I don't, I don't know why you play Derek Carr. I mean, Derek Carr is a guy you watch him in practice training camp. He has the offense down already. He's definitely comfortable. He's a smart guy. He's in great shape. 
nothing to prove. All your wishes get injury, so I don't know why you would play their car against a bunch of uh, Miami scrubs. Yeah, and I um, <laughs> how delicate we put, by the way, you I, put, <laughs> just Miami scrubs. <laughs> yeah. So one media member asks, you know, this week about just in, doesn't doesn't really get to the crux of it. So of course I pipe up in the media room, in the back of the media room, you know, in, in my in my little corner back there, Vic. You know where it's at. And I so I go right. to ask him the question. So let's just get to specificity, Josh. Derek Carr, Devontae Adams. And I made the big mistake, fumbled the ball right at the goal line, and I threw in with, you know, you know, Josh, your key players. He, and, he, and, and he smirked because it was like, dang, I, he opened the door for me. And he goes, they're all key players to me. I completely dropped the ball in, in, in really nah, putting – put, He gave him a softball, man. He gave him a nice softball, and he cracked it. I mean, well, he yeah, wants the, to drive home to, to his players that every play is important to every job. Yeah, you're all draft, pretty. Which, which yeah. Is, which is, which is all nonsense. We all know that. I mean, you guys know what the jobs are. Every job's not open. All the starters are pretty much in place. But the team wants to hear it. It's good for uh, you know, get the team fired up. They're the 75th player. Excited. He has a chance to make the roster. So it's good. It's a good move by the coach. One basically, the- basically, Willie just asked, goes, which one of your kids is a favorite? And they're like, you're all my favorite. Yeah. That's what- <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Well, yeah. In, in, in truth, all parents do have favorite kids. They all lie. There's one who listens a little better has more potential athletically. There's always one who's your favorite. So all parents lie also. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, the jo- Josh McDaniels had no problem when he was in Denver, you know, distancing the, the team from players and, and getting rid of guys that he didn't feel fit with his system. We have not seen the likes of Clee Farrell. Now, there was supposedly like a maybe a sighting in the, in the weight room. Um, you know, they ha- it's funny because they were walking us, Vic, to the facility. Now we're in this far, the far opposite caddy corner where we would normally be. And they've been walking us around, through the building, through the indoor facility to the, to the seating area. But now when we go back, we have to take the long way around. So against the far fence, right? Because I don't think that they want us walking by the weight room. It's, it's kind of interesting how they have us coming and going. But, uh, Clee Farrell, your take. I don't know what his injury is. Uh, before he went down, I thought uh, he was in trouble as far as making the roster. I know he has some money guaranteed, but uh, he's the last regime's guy. This regime has got no real stock in him. I think they have quite a lot of guys in on the front line. I'm not sure he's a great fit. So I was questioning Chris Farrell's um, roster viability even before he got hurt. All right, well. Moving on to tonight, then, I know uh, Gooch asked you about the stars. By the way, we're talking to Vic Tafer, the athletic Raider, longtime Raiders beat writer. Um, your take for tonight, because as you said, you know, you're not putting a lot of stock into what they're doing. They're not playing. Miami's playing it. Scrubs. Vegas is, they're still looking who they're going to cut, who they're going to keep. I, I think the most interesting things that you have to look at, as you mentioned, the interior on both sides, especially the way Minnesota ran it on Vegas's interior defensive line. Um, so what do you want to see in this game in Miami, considering who they may or may not play? What are you looking for? I'm looking for D.J. Turner you know, to kind of stack up good performances. He had a nice game last week. He needs to do it again if he wants to have a chance to make this roster. I think Tyron Johnson's the guy. Everyone knows he's fast. He's got to make some big plays in games. Kind of locked down his spot. I think one of the most interesting, interesting things so far has been uh, Kenyon Drake. He's yeah. playing a lot. I mean, better running backs who play a lot the preseason, that's not a good sign. So I think they're trying to trade him. I think they like who else they have in the room. Uh, he has a chance to kind of prove he's back from the injury and maybe get other teams 
interested, but uh, to me, that's a huge, you know, uh, bell going off that he's playing so much in the preseason. And they're, they're shuffling the offensive line a lot, Josh McDaniel. It's kind of something that I think he learned at New England. They used to do that a lot as well, just to kind of get an idea of what, what is working. And that's basically what the question I have is, is what do you think is the right combination of offensive linemen? Who has been impressing so far? Well, oh, Wilson's done a nice job at the guard spot. I think tackle's wide open. I think uh, the guy who's coming on is, is Jermaine Illuminor. He's been playing both yep. tackle spots. Yep. And also played guard. He's a former Patriot. I still think probably the starting right tackle is on another team right now. I think it's a guy that gets cut, and the Raiders pick up a veteran guy who's been playing for a while and maybe have some numbers that don't tie with his current team. But that's my take is that their current right tackle is not on the roster right now. Yeah, do you feel like Alex Leatherwood has progressed at all? Uh, it's hard to say because uh, he's definitely in shape. He definitely has the right mentality. It's just hard to read this new staff. He's not, he's not their guy. They're saying all the nice things, but – I didn't even start the last season game, which, you know, whatever that means, I'm not sure. But if he, if he really was their guy, he was a guy they thought could be the right time going forward, you get him those first team reps, you get him more experience, kind of get him, get him going. So they're still trying out guys, they're trying out Thayer Munsford. So to me, it's a huge question mark, and whether it was still not an answer for him. Another race that's going on that's going to be very important in the event that Derek Carr goes down, gets a stinger, has to come out of a game, or misses any kind of, you know, significant time, is the backup. Um, Stidham, obviously, Josh McDaniels is familiar with. Mullins has some experience. Um, they both have seen some time, obviously. Uh, who have you – who do you think has stood out? I think it's his job. I think he uh, was his job when he came in because of his experience in Josh's system. Oh, he's looked good. He's looked like he's got some toys back there. He's got a nice arm. I mean, he's got huge touchdowns with his legs. So yep. he's not great, but he definitely is good enough. And I think, yeah. So to me, ideally, Mullins is a guy you can kind of stash your practice squad for insurance, but I'm not sure how much demand will be for him you know, on the waiver wire. But um, in my mind, Josh brought him, uh, sit him in to be the backup. Yeah, I really like what I've seen from him as from both angles, like you said, um, through the air and on the ground, rutting. I think he somewhat brings um, – I don't necessarily know if he's got the same body type. Marcus is a little bigger, but I think he brings the same package that Mariota offered in terms of not being afraid to run the ball when he needs to. Right. So, Vic – I think uh, he's looking – So, Vic, um, we got one more home game, one more home preseason game, and then a couple weeks off before the regular season gets started. I want to know uh, when you're coming to Vegas and, uh, and and what your plans are because, you know, we we got to always throw in a little Vegas talk. we got to talk about favorite favorite restaurants, favorite places that you hang out, because i got to get you down here to Treasure Island. It's pretty impressive in here in the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. I'm there, man. We'll break some bread. I'm back in town for these Patriots uh... – Joint practices on Monday, uh, sorry, Tuesday and Wednesday. So, oh, yeah, hanging up. All right, that's going to definitely be on because when Vic's in, Gooch, it's a party. So if I can get him down here, yeah, yeah, it's 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 definitely on because we'll the game will be Friday, and then if he hangs around, maybe we'll get him to come over, hang out a little bit on Saturday. Now, how how late do you stay up when you party, Vic? Because I'm I got about 11 p.m. cutoff. That's about it. That's where I'm done. Yeah, that's always my goal, but my goals will usually come true. So I'm not going to tell you what time, but definitely don't need to make curfew. And Vic and I, when I first met Vic, we we would have the pregame meals. It was the night before. It was, it was like a, we called it like the pregame media meal. And uh, we just went hard the first five, six weeks, and all of a sudden we were like, man, God, it's kind of broken our bankroll. We hit Piero's twice. 
we hit a couple other, you know, some some of the some of the old school joints, popular places in town. So we'll have to get that going. There's so eventually, you got to take Vic to the first subway in Vegas. That's 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 yeah, you're yeah. like I've already hit up too many expensive. No, joints. If, if I can find an old school Las Vegas ninety nine cent buffet, that would be fantastic for everybody involved. No. Oh. Those are the days. I miss those days. All right, Vic, we appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you spending some time with Throw the Flag. I will see you next week. Take care, my friend. How about Take care. All right. That is Vic Tafer from The Athletic jumping in with Gooch and Willie on Throw the Flag here at Treasure Island Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar on ESPN Las Vegas. Get down here. Fantastic menu. The lines are up. They got kiosks, but the sportsbook is open. The WNBA playoffs have already started. The Chicago Sky are out for revenge after losing at home. The number two seed, they lost to the New York Liberty the other night in Sabrina Ionescu. They Last score I just saw up there was 50-19. to 19. The Sky was not happy. Yeah. <laughs> Neither was the coach or the players or the parents Yeah, of the James players. Wade does not play. Candace <laughs> Parker does not play. Uh, Courtney Vandersloot. They're the defending champs. So the U Open, and it's a, it's a funky schedule. Okay, it's the best of three. The higher seed gets the first two games. The lower seed would get the deciding game in their arena for game three. So the Liberty have here it is fifty to nineteen, two hundred fifty left. So New York has guaranteed that the deciding game will be back in New York. Which is insane, but they but they have travel issues with the WNBA, so this is why the schedule is the way that it is. It's a little little off kilter. Yeah, that's different. I've never even heard about that right. happening. I mean, other than, like, soccer placing, that's the only time where it gets even more confusing. Right. Well, tonight, over at Michelob Ultra Arena at Mandalay, your top-seeded Las Vegas Aces will be hosting the Phoenix Mercury, who are shorthanded. Terrible injury the other night with Shea uh, Petty. They were already without... Diana Taurasi, of course, Brittany Griner, we all know that, and Skylar Diggins-Smith. The line is like 17 and a half. The Aces won the other night by 16. They will be fired up. Chelsea Gray went off in the fourth quarter. Of course, of course Kelsey Plum, Asia Wilson, the whole the – the, the Erica Hamby's out, but the other night they handled it well. So that will be here on ESPN as well, T.C. Martin with the call. So make sure you tune in if you're not out at the arena. But it was insane last week on a weekend game for a noon game against Seattle, 10,000 in the house. So make sure you tune in if you don't get there to listen to the Aces. They can wrap up that series tonight. All right, we are in Treasure Island, Golden Circle, Sportsbook and Bar. Gooch and I, Gooch and yours truly, Willie Ramirez, I guess I should say, here on ESPN Las Vegas. We will be back in a few. Before I ever ran a casino or got myself blown up, Ace Rothstein was a hell of a handicapper. I can tell you that. I was so good that whenever I bet, I could change the odds for every bookmaker in the country. I'm serious. I had it down so cold. Oh, yeah. Taking you back, sounds of the OJs for the love of money. And, of course, that classic scene to start the movie Casino, De Niro's character portraying Frank Rosenthal. That could only mean one thing. It's time for the gambling segment here on Throw the Flag with Gooch and Willie Ramirez on ESPN Las Vegas at Treasure Island Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. We come with our games of the week, locks of the week, you name it, whatever it is that you want to call it, but we have our top picks for this week. Gooch, I'm going to start it off because my game kicks off in eight minutes. So everybody who's got a betting app, get your apps ready. 
There are two games kicking off at 10 o'clock. Lions, Colts, Broncos, Bills. I am taking the Bills minus 6.5 or 7, um, depending on where you can get it. Here at Treasure Island, posted at 7. But if you're on an app, obviously, get the best line you can. The Bills will be starting a majority of their starters. So they're going to see significant time per the coach, um, which is huge in this particular matchup because Sean McDermott throwing out his starters for a, quote, healthy amount of time against a Broncos team that's going to have very few starters play today. I think that the Bills are going to come out firing. And you know what? A little side bonus play, play the first half. Because once you get your scrubs in in the fourth quarter, you don't you you, you know a backdoor is is um, could could be in jeopardy. But I think the Bills are going to win this one at home handedly over the Broncos. Broncos played a decent game against the Cowboys, but Mike McCarthy last week he's not a guy that concentrates on winning in the preseason. He wants to see things. He doesn't really focus on his winning. So seventeen to seven over Dallas last week, eh? Not that impressive. Buffalo. At home, in the preseason, in what some are considering since it's the penultimate preseason game just before, you know, the uh, the regular season, I think the Bills are going off today. I'm going to go with, and I hate to say this, but I got to go with the, this is preseason though, Raiders, Dolphins. I'm going to go with Dolphins. are going to be in Miami playing the Raiders here a little bit later on today at uh, 4 p.m. And the reason why I'm going with Miami is because there's more talk about Tua playing. There's more talk about the starters playing and not a lot of talk about the Raiders starters playing. Like we, like Vic Tafer just talking about, we don't expect Derek Carr to play. And why would you throw him out there? Right. Just so he could step back and somebody could clip his knee in the end. Like, no, you don't want that. So I don't want to, I really don't want to see, as much as I want to see Devontae Adams and Derek Carr, as much as I want to see that connection, yeah. I don't want to see it in the preseason. And I think Josh McDaniels, going to pretty much play the same same hand that I'm playing and with the Dolphins too it's not just Tua that I I expect to play well if especially if you're going up against the Raiders, Raiders second stringers but they also got Teddy Bridgewater right so it's like I I got I got to go with the Dolphins and they're the Raiders are favored by one so yeah I'm going to Dolphins all right yeah it makes sense I mean you know the other day they were they had some the defense really won um I believe it was Thursday I was out there. The defense seemingly won. Max Crosby was had a fantastic – you know what? He had a fantastic week. So uh, there was one particular play, and I'm not, I'm, I don't want any, anyone to get, get, get this out there, start tweeting. Willie Ramirez said this. But it was, it was one of those plays. It's hot. It's toward the end. Devontae Adams, he was slow getting up. But once he got up, he was fine. He jogged back. But when you see those little types of things, it's a reminder. And when you're watching the Hall of Fame game, the preseason week one, you're just as a coach, you observe who is being lost. Like, look at Zach Wilson with the Jets, right? Yeah. He's going to have meniscus surgery. He's actually going to have the exact same surgery that I had April 21st, where they don't have to repair the middle, where they're folding it, stitching, and you're out. They're just trimming around the edge. He's having the exact same thing I did. I was shocked when they said two to four weeks, and I immediately texted my surgeon. I was like, dude, is this possible? And he said, well, there was a running back, a college running back, he mentioned, he said that he was back in like a week. So it's, I guess it just all depends. on, And I guess, you know, I'm going in for physical therapy treatment. You know, at the time I was going in two, three days a week. You're getting treatment twice a week. You're doing this. You're getting massage. You get. He's going to be at the facility. They're going to be, you know, with – 
uh, shockwave treatment. He's going to be getting the fluids out because you've got to get the swelling down. So, I mean, I would imagine he's going to be getting probably three times the amount of attention I was on his knee. Four weeks is quick for that type of surgery. Six is where you're back to normalcy. So, again, coaches see that, and it throws the red flag, throws the flag. Hey. Um, it, it, it makes you a well aware of what can happen. So when I saw that last week, I was like, and he got up. Again, Devontae Adams is fine. He's healthy. He's strong. He's not injured. It was just like one of those slow. Uh, Might have been a Charlie horse. Could have, like yeah, that. exactly. He's probably got a, a bruise. And this is the worst thing about the Zach Wilson injury. It was non-contact. So that's why it's also scary to play these guys in the preseason because he just might be trying to make a move, juke a guy out of his shoes, and then all of a sudden his knee locks up, maybe your your toe digs into the turf a little bit longer than you were hoping, and now now you're in a situation like Zach Wilson's in. All right, so there you have it. You have my pick of the day, which is now coming up in three minutes, the Bills over the Broncos. Gooch's pick of the week is the Dolphins plus the point or points against the Raiders. Throw the flag with Gooch and Willie Ramirez on ESPN Las Vegas at Treasure Island, Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Get down here. Great food, great drinks. We got prizes to give away. I got a gift card for Twin Peaks where we're going to be during the regular season and some other stuff to give to you. Get down here and join us for the final hour because when we come right back, we're going to talk even more Raiders, and we're going to get to the real question is, how many white blazers does Mark Davis have in his closet? Hard-hitting questions. It's Throw the Flag with your hosts, Gooch and Willie Ramirez. You know that music. Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside the Treasure Island Hotel and Casino. On ESPN Las Vegas. You know that music. Every Raider fan knows that music. Some of you were conceived to it. Let's throw the flag <laughs> right back here at the Golden Circle Sportsbook. Treasure Island. Gooch, Willie Ramirez back again. And we're going to talk about our favorite topic in the whole world, our Las Vegas Raiders. You know, we got they're going to be taking on the Dolphins here in a little bit later on today at 4 o'clock. And starters. Starters, is it, does, at this point, does it matter? I, I don't think it does for this team. Like we just mentioned about like the Buffalo Bills, right? So he wants to really focus on his starters getting a healthy, quote-unquote, healthy amount of time today. I don't really think it does with Josh McDaniels because I think he comes from a system in which, well, they want to look and prepare for their depth. They want to look and see what's available. Like with the offensive line, which we're going to talk about in a little bit here, when he first got here um, and after the draft, he talked about how he wants people, and then he just said it recently, he wants linemen to know how, because at any given time, they're going to need to play in different positions they, uh, across the line. Um, the running back room, you know, Josh Jacobs was was brought in. He was, he was drafted. He was the star. But now you have Zamir White. You have uh, Bolden's come in, a veteran. You have a healthy running backs room where you can take a look at your depth. You can look at everything that you have. I think he has in mind what he wants, but he wants to be sure with what else he has and the depth as he proceeds and makes cuts. And with this team, the star talent it has, and the way that they built this team, I don't think it matters as much in the preseason to a guy like Josh McDaniels, his staff, GM Dave Ziegler. I don't think that they cared that much because you already know 
who the stars are and what you need to build around them. Right now, you need to see, and don't get me wrong, we could be looking at starters. Like on the offensive line with what he's done, again, we'll talk about that in a second, we've seen starters. We've seen Josh Jacobs play. We're seeing starters play, but they're just not the names that everybody knows. It's more the question is not starter. do starters matter, but do those star players matter? Yeah. One thing I've noticed with Josh McDaniels that he's doing and that it looks like he's doing is he is taking a page out of the whole Belichick coaching book where he's finding what each individual player is good at. What are you really good at and how can I take advantage of that so you might have a guy on the Raiders that might not be the biggest guy but he's also just good at getting open five yards down the field well then McDaniels is going to keep that in the back of his head and go I got to play for that I got to play for that guy right and if you ever look at how the Patriots won the only one that really was racking up stats was Tom Brady everybody else you didn't know who the star was going to be right you really didn't know I mean, other than Gronk. It was like you didn't know who the star was going to be. Like Kevin Hogan all of a sudden has a 120-yard game, you know, six catches, two touchdowns. Who, who's that guy? You know I mean? It's like you, you see, and that's what I think Josh McDaniels is doing through the preseason. He's finding out exactly what he has right. on the roster and how he can utilize each individual talent right. of the players. Yeah, and that's 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 what he needs with the offense that he's trying to run. I mean, you know, let's face it, we – I wrote a story earlier this summer, you know, that was that this is not Patriots West, but the fact of the matter is, no, it's the Raiders, but it's built upon what worked in New England with Josh McDaniels overseeing that offense. So in him constructing the proper components to put that together and execute the system that needs to be executed, that one six Super Bowl rings for him. That's what that's what matters. So the depth is huge. You know, being able to have running backs that could come out of the backfield and catch a pass and bring yards after catch. Being able to use a double tight end at set at times. Being able to sort of exploit in, uh, a defense that can't handle the slot receiver the same way that New England had Justin Edelman, Wes Welker. Being able to use a guy like Hunter Renfro, who was the top target last year. Darren Waller, Foster Morrow on both sides of the line at one time is going to be an attractive look for Josh McDaniels, it's somewhat, you know, to use a, a, a sports cliche, it's, it's kind of sexy yeah. for him. You know what I mean? The ta- you think about the talent that he has. Josh Jacobs looked great in the Hall of Fame. Devontae Adams, um, Hunter Renfro, Waller, Morrow, Kenyon Drake, if they keep him based on what Vic uh, Tafer told us in the first hour. Um, but other guys, Zamir White. I ha- I've said this on all the spots that I've done when I'm a guest, is that that's my breakout guy. I think he's going to be it. I actually said um, on Cofield and Company uh, during the summer that my hot take early in the year with Adam Hill and I were on was that I thought that Kenyon Drake was going to be the guy, Zamir White was going to have a breakout, and that they were going to maybe use Jacobs as a bargaining tool. He would not be the guy, but... Who knows? Maybe they just he just needed to see him in that opening game, confuse some people, and he's going to be the guy. And that's one thing I've noticed about the preseason is the Raiders' running game has looked good. It's looked fantastic. It's looked really good. Yeah. And when you think about a Josh McDaniels offense, running game really doesn't come to mind. But they definitely know how to use one. Like yeah. last year, remember that Patriots game where Mac Jones just showed up and right. they just ran the ball continuously and still won that game? Josh McDaniels knows how to construct a good running game. Right. I would, it would be interesting to see if 
all of a sudden he just comes out with this power running style, play action, and then you got guys wide open for the Raiders. And that's what's, that's what's great about this offense is if the running game works when your stars are a the, arguably the best receiver in the game and a top three tight end in Darren Waller, now all of a sudden you have the balance where you the defenses are – and I've been saying this, the AFC West – has built been built the, the other three teams they the past few years they were building to beat Kansas City they've been constructing their defenses on how to beat Kansas City and Pat Mahomes and and that offense which now you have a, a very balanced offense with the Raiders very potent and a guy with a championship mind they're going to be dangerous to defend he's going to be able to pick apart defenses make the right adjustments and somewhat decimate secondaries when they collapse to maybe pick up the run game and that's where I do like the Raiders versus the Chiefs because I do think the Raiders have a better defense than the Chiefs. I think they have, um, like, hands down, a better pass rush, which is just paramount. But I also think that this new offense, it might be just as potent as the Chiefs. And it's going to start on the offensive line. So last week, man, I'll tell you what, Gooch. I left Allegiant Stadium. I went home. I wrote a story. I wrote the game story, but it was based around – the numerous rotations, the numerous offensive linemen that were used. I don't think I've ever done this before, like crazily. I immediately logged into my NFL Plus account and broke down game film of a, of a preseason game. Then it was racking my brain after watching his uh, McDaniel Zoom session the next day, the, po- the, the, the day after game Zoom session he has to have, we talked about the offensive line. I went and broke down the Hall of Fame game. They've used 14 offensive linemen in 13 rotations across 20 possessions in the first two preseason games. And to McDaniels, his, he said, I don't really think this is unique at all. This is normal. There's just too much to be gained in training camp for you to forego the opportunity to work with different groupings. If you put five guys together and that's the only five guys they practice besides – you're doing them a disservice because it's not realistic. I like that, and I remember the Patriots doing something like this, too. I, I hate comparing, but you have to. You have to compare this Raiders squad, at least this year, to Patriots teams in the past where they were doing a rotation of offensive line like they do a defensive line. Uh, you know, you would always see – it it's never the same four guys on the defensive line. Right. That, you know, it's, there's always a rotation because you want to keep them fresh. I just remember seeing the Patriots – Wait, 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 wait. let me cut you off real quick. Not just rotations, though. He's not only rotating players in and out, but those guys are moving up and down the line, including center. There were a couple yeah. of center, you know, so. And that's what I'm saying. It's like, so they were having a different rotation of offensive line players. They're, this whole, I just remember seeing that, and it was working. So the whole idea is like, oh, these guys got to gel. These guys got to gel. You just have to do what you're supposed to do, and things will work out. So, remember a couple weeks ago, I believe you and I, I know, uh, Steve Colfield and I talked about it. Uh, Mark Davis is eating chicken wings and how everybody blew up about it. But the, the big thing was not – I didn't have a problem with the white, with eating chicken wings and talking to someone with it. It's, he's the owner. I he's think I know. Can I say what you had a problem with? What? I think you had a problem with him eating chicken wings with a white blazer. Well, where was the bib or this? Just being <laughs> careful. He just didn't care. <laughs> so here's just... the thing. So so Colfield, I was on the show, and Steve was like, hey, we got to – I said, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask him. Now, now, here's the thing. I said, I'll go to the AC game and see, you know, like, no way. I said, yeah, I'm going to go. You were losing great. sleep over so, it. Yes. <laughs> so here's the thing. Uh, Steve was gracious enough not to take the sound bite. I sent it to him right afterwards. I, I, I texted it to him. Here's the sound bite. 
he was gracious enough to save it for us. So I went up to the Aces game, game one of the playoffs, caught Mark Davis at halftime, and here is not only about White Blazers, but what he had to say about the courtside club food at Aces games. All right, so we're at halftime of the Aces game with owner Mark Davis. And for the fans out there who have been inquiring with the show, I personally have the over, by the way. We want to know how many white blazers you have. Uh, clean ones? New ones? <laughs> I have three new ones hanging in the closet waiting for this one to get dirty. Okay. Courtside Club. Mini hot dogs or the carving station? Which one's better? I couldn't tell you. I think they're all good. Mark Davis, thanks for always taking the time to hang out with us live at the Aces game. So there you have it. He has three brand new ones waiting for the one that he wears dirty. I should have followed up and said, so does that mean that this is the only one in rotation and those don't get touched? It's almost like he opens up his closet and it's like the same kind of closet you would see on The Simpsons where it's nothing but white shirts for yeah. Homer. Right. It's, it's just right. all white blazers. I, I, I likened it to the movie uh, Nine and a Half Weeks where – uh, Kim Basinger is being the nosy Parker on Mickey Rourke's closet, uh, and she sees, and it's all the same thing. You're right. That's what I likened it to. <laughs> so you know, but um, Mark Davis is he. We talked about this. He has to be the greatest owner, fan of a team. Just I mean, to watch him talk to him. He's he's never said, you know, not tonight. He, I mean, whatever I want to ask, whenever you want to talk, anybody, and anybody else, media can. I mean, he just he he talks, he laughs, he has a great time. He loves the half time entertainment. He gets into it. I mean, he is he is fun to watch at the Aces game. Well, he's really the only owner I could think of that was literally born into this. He was born into was. this. All right, listen, Gooch, Willie Ramirez, throw the flag, ESPN Las Vegas, Treasure Island. Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Hey, starting to get a little crowded in here. Preseason all day. Get down here. Get to the book. Get you some food. We are coming back because it's my turn to throw the flag. Who are you? The Antichrist. You got me in a vendetta kind of mood. You tell the angels in heaven you never seen evil so singularly personified as you did in the face of the man who killed you. Hit it! Yes! <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Two of my favorites. True Romance with Christopher Walken and Rob Bass. DJ Easy Rock, it takes two. It takes two of us to get this done. Throw the flag, Gooch and Willie Ramirez, ESPN Las Vegas at Treasure Island, Golden Circle, Sportsbook and Bar. That's one of the greatest movies, and that's the best scene. Christopher Walken, Dennis Hopper, I mean, it's, it's, it, there's, it's really unmatched in a lot of ways. Vintage Walken yeah. is always yeah. timeless. Him in that and in uh, Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead. Great movie. Great movie. People forget about yes. it. Yes, Gabrielle Anwar was unbelievable. And, and Andy Garcia. Garcia's Mac to her in the bar. He said, remember, he was like, girls who glide need guys who make them thump. And she was like, hmm, and the, aren't you the Sultan of Segway? So really, really good stuff. Anyway, uh, it's my turn to throw the flag. And I have my subjects, but before I do that, uh, I got a text message during this show. I, I may not be back. I may, I may retire. Okay. Uh, Mail.government ha hashtag service. Uh, the IRS, you have received an and amended your uh, U.S. IRS tax refund amount. Submit the claim here. Of course, the the, the, the extension is not .gov. Yeah. And my, my favorite is you have received not 
an amended, right? Because the A N before the vowel, it's and amended. So, Gooch, this may be it for me. Swan song. I may be done. Yeah, you know what? Just get that social security number ready. Mom's made a name and get out there and live the life you've yeah, always Yeah, so I, might, I don't know whether I'm going to throw the flag on this refund yet. So what I am going to throw the flag is on this, this story I read. <laughs> I, I can't believe this. Uh, climate change. Are you ready for this? Climate change is the reason today's children 30% less aerobically fit than their parents were at their age. This is a new study. The study points to climate change and rising temperatures adversely affecting childhood obesity as children spend less time exercising outdoors. Okay, no. That has nothing to do with the weather, and it has everything to do with social media and these kids just being glued to their phones because they have— But where does that start? I think it starts with what, what? What was the first thing you asked me in today's show? Uh, what was it? I don't. Know. <laughs> it starts with the parents. Oh, it starts with the parents. Yes, yes. What did I tell you? I wanted to do. I eighteen months. I had Jordan in activities. Yes, yeah. And that's what I'm getting at. It's there's a lot of people out there that, as long as they're not making noise, as long as the kids aren't breaking things, they feel like they're doing their job. And it's like you have to get these kids involved in something. Uh, my girlfriend, she's got a 13-year-old boy. I, got, I took him to boxing class last week. I mean, it's, keep in mind, this is Vegas, mind you. I understand why kids aren't going outside in 120-degree heat and waiting till 6 o'clock to go play basketball and stuff like that. Sure. Like, you can't do it in, that, in this kind of weather. But it is important to get them out there and get them involved. And, and on top of that, there's, there's confidence in things that happen when you get them involved in things like taekwondo and the things that you got your son involved in. Blaming it on the weather it's this again. This is like, this is how people have been the last twenty years. Where it's like, it can't be my fault. It's got to be something else's fault. Well, here's the thing. Um, I get the whole the, the like the ozone, the atmosphere, all that kind of stuff. Global warming, but it was 120 degrees. You know, it only, there were 100 teens when I grew up here in the 70s. I got on my bike. I had my FMF BMX yep. bike. Right. And we would ride. And and and, you know, the 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 cliche is, you know, we came home when the stoplights come up where I lived on the east side uh, off Karen and and uh, near Karen and Paradise up in that area behind the uh, the Hilton and by the country club. You if you poked around certain buildings or, you know, apartment buildings, you could see the top of the Sahara. There was a clock, a digital clock. All the kids around the neighborhood, that's what you looked for. Or you drove your bike to a certain parking lot where you could see the Sahara clock. That was what you looked for. But back then, we were outdoors all day. We were drinking water from uh, water hoses. And hoses, yeah. yeah. We were driving to we, we, the, 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 the BMX frames. We would take the, uh, the Nerf football, slide it up into the frame so it was stuck, and go to the other neighborhoods. And we... It, you know what the scene was like? Like the sand lot when the when the preppy kids roll into the to mm-hmm. the to the to the favorites That's what of we the did. and when you draw where are we going today? Or where we lived, there were six different units: the hundreds, two hundreds, three hundreds, four hundreds, five hundreds, six. We go, we're playing the six hundreds today. Let's go. And we, even if there was three of us, three on three, whatever, because with the grass here, if there were, or if it expanded. We'd be in the street playing light pole football. I don't want to hear about temperatures and get your kids involved. That was, that was the thing that I felt was a detriment in me growing. But like I said, and I told you and advised you, dude, six, 18 months I had Jordan involved. Three years, we, we, there was a city program called Teeny Weeny Sports. And there were three different levels based on age groups. Got him involved in that. Five years old, you can put your kid in T-ball. And they've gone as far from T-ball to doing something called Bubba Ball, where it's 
it's a wiffle ball with the big fat barrel, the plastic yeah. the wiffle bat kind of thing. And they do that just to get their timing down. So, I mean, yeah, I'm not buying this one. I'm no, throwing no. the flag. Again, it's another way to take the responsibility off people. And, again, there's been so many parenting books that have come out in the last 40 years that I think these parents are reading and they're thinking that that's a blueprint for being a parent. There is no blueprint for being a parent. No, you're going to go. That's out absolutely there. right. Yeah, you're going. I don't even have kids, and I know that you're going to go out there. You're going to fail in some parts, and then you're going to totally succeed in others. Right. And it, and I just think that parents nowadays, they just seem like they're so afraid to push their kids because they don't want them to grow up and say, well, I didn't want to play football. You wanted me to play right. football, and I did it for you. I mean, I just think they've seen so many movies yes. that have, yes. that have like, yes. really made parents feel like they did something wrong when they didn't do anything wrong. And then people see that movie and they go, well, I don't want to be that guy. So yeah. then they do everything they can to not be the parent that pushes them in the right direction. But then there's people that don't push their kids at all. you got to push them a little bit. you got to get them involved. you got to push them. you got to – here's the thing. I always said this, and I, I used to be ridiculed all the time by certain, you know, people just in general, whatever. They say, you cannot push Jordan the way that you're pushing him. You cannot have that strong arm, so on and so forth. It's like, look, I'm not forcing Jordan to do Taekwondo. I'm not forcing him. But the day he says, I want to do this, guess what? He's finishing that season. He's finishing that whatever, whatever it may be. Now, I will say with Taekwondo, because it was a lifestyle, I wa didn't want to spar. Okay, but you're going to finish out this junior Olympic year. But when it came to, um, you know, the tra I wanted that for the discipline. And after seven and a half years, he went through a 12-hour black belt test, a true where he's registered with what's called the Kukiwon in South Korea. But where I pushed him was once you signed up, you finished the job. Now, at the end of the season, if you want to be done with it, hey, that's on you. But you also are going to find something else, and you're going to be involved. And guess what? Jordan had a video game. He had a Nintendo GameCube. I had no problem with that. He had a Game Boy. But when it came time to have an activity and learn, and guess what? Back then, there were uh, this deli meat, Hillshire Farms. It was it came in a little Tupperware with a pink top, and in there was like a, a plastic bag with the deli meat. I used to take those, take all, the take all the paper off. I'd wash them really good, sterilize them, and that would be where I would put his food. This was before social media. Now what do we see all the time? People meal prepping, taking their food, going. Not, I'm not saying that I innovated or you know, invented that. That's something that people were doing. But we'd be at the Taekwondo studio or the baseball field, and I'd have meals. I used to tell the parents, don't show up with Gatorade. It's got a lot of sugar in it. When I was a kid, it was green and orange, and that was it. <laughs> and now the green was apple. Now it's Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah. So... No, it was lemon-lime. There was no oh, sweet. Oh, no, yeah, when I was yeah, a kid, yeah. Gatorade was lemon-lime oh, or orange. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there was no – There were these, now it's Kool-Aid. Right. You should tell them, bring Propel. Don't be the parent that rushes into Little League, drops your kid off with a bag of McDonald's and says, I'll be back in two hours because guess what? He ain't playing. Right. Don't do that. I used to have a parent meeting with the uh, right before the season, and I would look at them all and I'd find the fittest one. Fittest one, I'd say, before you go to the gym, you, you get you get some McDonald's and everything, right? That's your protein and your post-workout meal pizza. And they'd look at me like I was crazy. I was, exactly. Don't bring your kid with a bag of grease. All right. I got another story for you. We're going to go up to Utah. I feel like I got to get my fetus involved in a program right now. I feel like you got me motivated. So a girl beat their daughters in sport. One particular girl from in, in a team sport. Everything's been kept, no disclosure, because to protect. Utah parents were so upset, they triggered an investigation into whether she was transgender, demanded 
because one competitor outclassed the rest of the field in a girls' state-level competition. This was last year. This is just surfacing. The parents of the competitors who placed second and third lodged a complaint with the Utah High School Activities Association calling into question the winner's gender. David Spadafore, the UHSAA's legislative representative, addressed the Utah's Legislature's Education Interim Committee on Wednesday. This past week said the association, without informing the student or family members about the inquiry, asked the students to the student school to investigate. The school examined the students' enrollment records, went all the way back to kindergarten. She'd always been a female. Um, are we serious? Again, this is more parents not taking responsibility for what's going on. You know what I mean? It's like you're looking for any excuse for your child not to be the darling. So now you've got to turn to blaming because your kid finished second and third. If your kid's finished second and third, you have to go ahead and say that. that this girl is transgender there's no way that your child could finish second or third you have to take that kind of an accusation to take the pressure off your kids and you yeah step up i I couldn't believe when i read this the i mean how degrading and humiliating because here's the thing even though they're they're withholding the 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 student the student athlete's name if if the way it's being described that it was you know that this person's completely outclassed all the other team members do you know who it is? Yeah. So this investigation, now that it's in the news, I mean, how, it's just, it's such yeah, a Yeah, all you got to do is go down the stat line and see who was crushing it. Right. And, and, and I mean, she's justified in that, well, we went back to kindergarten. She's yeah. been a female the whole time. But nevertheless. And what I is mean, this, a 16, 17-year-old girl that's got this kind of heat on her now? Right. I mean, it's like, and that's the thing. It's, are these parents that are making these accusations even trying to understand what it could possibly be possibly be like for, for not just the girl, but for her parents as well, just because they raised a winner? Sore losers. Yeah. Sore losers, absolutely horrible. Um, when I read this, I was horrified for, for her and her family. I just, I, I couldn't, I didn't get, I couldn't put a, put a grasp on it. Um, so yeah. But on the other end, though, maybe, maybe on a bright side, maybe this could be a pitch to a college to maybe get a scholarship. Look how, well, this, look how this girl just destroyed this whole team. Right, whatever sport it was. Yeah. I mean, they could turn around and, you know, use it to their advantage. Hopefully um, this is a positive. It is a positive. Forward. Yeah, because we've seen a lot of stories where kids are exploited, uh, student-athletes are exploited, things are somewhat, you know, and, and then all of a sudden, hey, we're going to embrace this kid and, and so on and so forth. But, again, the identity has been left out. Who knows? I don't know, obviously, what the response is from – from the winning team, the parents, nothing, you know, because there's no identity. Right. But, um, again, just come on, parents. I mean, just leave it as it is. I think I think we're in, in a day and age where we understand the, the, the gender issue and the identity issue and how you're identifying yourselves. But I think at this point, if if there's an issue with something like that where they're the gender playing cross-gender, that they're going to say, or they're yeah. going to say, hey, this, and I want to compete with this, or I want, I want to compete with the boys, or I want to compete with wh- whatever the case is. Now, what really makes me mad is we're talking about sore loser parents, and we're not talking about how dominant this athlete is. That's what the story should be. This chick came out there and destroyed dominated. another team. Right. Dominated. dominated. That's what the story should be. But instead, we got to listen to people be sore losers and make excuses. Well, one person who 100% is a dominant or was a dominant athlete in town 
Centennial High School. She was Nevada's Gatorade Player of the Year. She was USA Today's National Junior Player of the Year. She played with the National Pro Fast Pitch League with California Commotion. Now, this is a young lady who I met for ESPN Las Vegas Live Remotes when, uh, the first season during the playoffs. There were live remotes around town, right, at, at, at different uh, spots. And um, the host at the time invited me out to sit in for VGK road games. So I would sit in. She would show up to all of them because she knew one of the co-hosts. And I think he knew a lot of softball players in town. But anyway, I think he knew her mother too. But um, I got to know her there. We befriended on, on um, social media. She had, a, she had an idea of who my son was because they grew up in the same era. And she was such a fan of the Golden Knights. She auditioned the next year for the Vegas Vivas, the VGK cheer team. And she has become one of the popular ones. And her sort of interaction with the kids when they go up and down the aisles, she goes out and makes appearances. Um, she is going to be joining us next to talk about her time as a Vegas Viva. That is Savannah Horvath coming back with Gooch and Willie Ramirez on Throw the Flag on ESPN Las Vegas at Treasure Island Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Throughout the game, you'll see them running up and down the stairs all the way around the fortress. You'll see the Vivas up at the castle. You'll see them in the upper bowl. You'll see them in the lower bowl. And they love meeting and greeting with the fans. Let's get some candles burning and some records turning all the lights. Oh, yeah, coming back, uh, Luke. Sounds of uh, that was from a Vegas Vivas uh, video. We got a quick shout out to, uh, I already forgot, was it Vin? I think it was Vin came over, said hi. The Bellman with Treasure oh, yeah. Island Vin, yeah. he said hi. He said big fan, and he said I got some old stories to tell you. Born and raised, got some mob stories. Yeah, so I'll be looking forward to to talking to him. But now, now when he does tell the story, though, he's going to have a voice like Shader, you know the yeah the Shader, and it's going to be morphed yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I saw somebody. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, coming back, Gooch and Willie Ramirez throw the flag. ESPN Las Vegas, we are here at Treasure Island, Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar, and we are going out to the hotline with Savannah Horvath, better known as Sav J, a Vegas Viva. But, you know, we're going to be for Savannah, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. It's a great Saturday morning and just relaxing. And, uh, you know, I can't get any better than the beautiful weather we have and hanging out. You are back from Nashville. Oh, my gosh. I am, and I love Nashville. Don't get me wrong. And I love Vegas, but don't be surprised if y'all catch me out in Nashville sometime soon. Oh, boy. <laughs> so you're going to join the Predators. Uh, you're going to be the second defector from the Golden Knights to the Predators. Big, big D that's, and Sab J. That's a big J. statement there, Willie. Okay, <laughs> we're going we're to slap the franchise tag on you. <laughs> no so, trademarks. <laughs> so before we uh, – before we, uh, get into the Vegas Vivas, I want to touch upon just, you know, I mean, this is obviously a sports talk show. I, I want to talk about, you know, just you, this because I followed softball so long ago and um, and then fell off when I was raised in Jordan. And then when I came back to freelancing, I did some work for Nevada Preps and I was covering sports, uh, covering softball. Shadow Ridge became a power. Centennial has always been a power. But you came from Centennial. You were the Gatorade Player of the Year, USA Today's National Junior Player of the Year. Um, 
you know, in your time, talk about softball and the growth in Las Vegas, because, I mean, I'm sure that you're familiar with Keeley Comerford. I knew her mother, Sally Comerford, when, uh, when the softball fields were built up there at Majestic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, I started softball when I was, I think, five years old, and I just fell in love with it. But I was always active, and I did, like, tennis, volleyball, taekwondo. Um, there was nothing that I didn't do growing up. But when I found softball, it just stuck with me, and I just was like, there's things where people are naturally gifted in. And I found that um, my hand-eye coordination was a lot better than most at my age. And so – I just stuck with it, and yeah, I grew up, I played all throughout elementary, uh, middle school, I played for the Little Rebels uh, Stover travel organization, we ended up calling ourselves the Million Dollar Dream Team, going into college, we had um, all of our girls across the valley, we all pretty much had Division One college scholarships, whether it be any higher than like 70 to 100% on everybody, I think we only had one girl go to two. And even then, that was a full ride for her. So we had multi-million dollar um, money in scholarships on our team. But going into Centennial, I made my mom move into that zone variance so I can play at Centennial because yeah. we were such a powerhouse. And that, that's where I wanted to be because I knew that that would be the best competition for myself. Was there anything other than softball that might have taken you to a different realm of success that you actually liked that, that you had a passion for? Looking back on it now, I don't think so. But if you would have asked me that maybe like a few years ago or like before going into college, like going into high school and stuff like that, I definitely really wanted to try and play like volleyball. I thought that volleyball was always so much fun. And I actually was going to try out for um, the teams in, at Centennial. But going into my senior year, I had a really bad ankle injury um, that kept me from missing tryouts just for the like for fun of it and everything like that. But I was like, okay, well, maybe this is a sign. I'm just supposed to heal, rehab, and then go right back into softball season. So if you would have asked me that a few years ago, maybe, but looking back on it now, absolutely not. So we do uh, – the show's called Throw the Flag, and each of us in, in one uh, – in the first hour, second hour, we throw the flag at topics we see breaking in the news. And one of the things that came up recently, I saw in the news, that a study showed that um, childhood obesity is being uh, related to – the climate change and rising temperatures. And you talked about staying active and always playing. And I remember having Jordan in activities. I mean, I threw the flag at that because I could, could, could you imagine if you look back over your childhood, starting in elementary school to middle school, you said, could you imagine having the temperature being used as an excuse why you couldn't be, be put into activities? No, absolutely not. Like I think growing up, like, Yes, I say the younger generation, but, like, also still my generation. But, like, when I was younger, um, we didn't care. Like, we just wanted to play. Like, we wanted to train. We wanted to do any practice. We were practicing extra on our own, going to the cages. Like, double practices sometimes, morning and afternoon. Like, it wasn't an excuse for us. And, like, if you wanted to be any kind of good, like, you wouldn't make excuses. And so, like, I remember going from like little rebels practice that night before into high school practice the day after, and then having practice again for rebels that next night. So it was like a double practice for me. So I was like, there was no excuse. Like we were the kids that drank water out of the hose. Like our immunities were great and the heat wasn't an issue for us. Like that's why we played year round. 
Do you think that today's athletes have still have that mindset? Like, no, no matter what, we're going to find a way to get this training in. No matter what, we're going to find a way to get this practice in. Or do you feel like there have been more excuses that have been allowed into their lives that they tend to rely on? There, so there's part of me that says yes and no. There's obviously that, that percentage of the athletes, the student athletes or the young athletes nowadays that, yeah, they do do whatever they can. They do get that extra work and they go and throw the ball against the wall is what we say, or we go to the cages and everything like that. But there are more times than not where I see young athletes, and it doesn't have to be just softball, just young athletes in general are having these expectations that their gifts or their talents come naturally without any extra work. Like that doesn't, that doesn't fly. Like you have to, yeah, you have designated practices and everything like that, but like designated practices are everything your opponent is also doing. If you don't go above and beyond your opponent, they're going to beat you. So if you don't put in that extra time and effort, then your opponent is doing just exactly what you're doing or more. And that's why they are better than you. So sometimes yes, sometimes no. Do you believe in the phrase born to do this when it comes to sports? Like you're born to do this? Um, I would say yes. Cause I, I look at myself, you know, like I feel like I was born to play softball, but like there's so many, the more, the older I've gotten and like you would have asked me, you know, mo- like most people ask athletes once they graduate high school or college, well, what's your identity? And for the longest time after, college after graduating and after playing professional sports for two summers like I had to ask myself I'm like what's my identity now that I don't get the chance to play ball as much anymore if not who knows if it's going to come down the pike anymore for myself Um, so I've had to find out and really try and dig deep into my soul and my heart and see who and what my identity is nowadays and so yes I do believe that there is something you're born to do but that can always change so, Sav, I want to talk about <clears> – <throat> I want to get into the Vegas Vivas in a minute, but the way we met was at watch parties with Ball Paul <laughs> Frank. You would come out to the playoff watch parties, and at that time you were a professional softball player. As you just mentioned, you had spent a couple of summers as a pro in the National Pro Fastpitch League. What was that like? Because, you know, right now we're seeing, obviously, the WNBA is in the spotlight. It's the big thing. Athletes Unlimited right. has created an avenue for women in volleyball, lacrosse, softball, and and uh, basketball, but we really don't see this. What was that like being a professional softball player, someone in a league that's to, to, to anybody outside softball is non-existent? Right, yeah, and it's it's so funny to when I tell people, like, yeah, I played professional softball. They're like, oh, that's a thing? And I'm like, well, yeah, like, <laughs> it definitely is. Um, no, don't get me wrong. I love playing professionally. I was drafted out to a team in Mobile, Alabama, um, I was out there for two summers, and I've met some of the greatest people I now call family in my life, whether they be my teammates, um, now my sisters, or my host family, also my family. Like, I look at them as an extended part of my family. But it, is, uh, it was truly an honor um, listening to the draft and hearing my name get called. And I was kind of in shock when it first happened. But, again, you're going back to the being born to do that. And... Um, I told myself at a young age, and I told my mom, I said, you're never going to pay for my college. And I said, this is what I want to do because I grew up watching the Jenny Finches, the Crystal Bustos, the Cat Ostermans, and, like, all of those girls playing with those three letters across their chest of USA, and that was my goal. So I knew that if I eventually wanted to try out for the national team, I needed to go into professional ball for a little bit. 
And um, although I did try out for the national teams and I didn't make it, I made it as alternates and things like that. But it was still an experience, and I loved every bit of it. What would you say, like, what, what was your main motivation after you made it? Like, what I'm saying is, is like, when you, you got into the pros, mm-hmm. what after that? Like, like, when you finally achieved your goal, what was it after that? Was it like, I have to be better than everybody? I have to maintain? Like, how do you dig deep to try and hang when, like, you're, you're welcome to the league moment is basically what it was. It was like, right. what was your welcome to the league moment where it's like, I have to step it up a lot? So as cliche as it kind of sounds, you know, there was, um, it, it's still going on too, but it's also called the Stand By Her Tour. Um, so basically what it is is athletes, women in softball and um, athletes that are on the women's national team or playing in the NPF still and things like that, um, the Stand By Her Tour is basically a dream to keep women's softball professionally alive for the younger generation. And going into my first season of professional ball, I remember after one of my first games down in Alabama, there was this young girl, um, her and her friends were there with like their little team and things like that. And they were just so excited to see that there was another level of women's professional softball. Women or girls who grew up just like them, having a dream, having the practices, putting the time, effort, the blood, the sweat, the tears in, and then finally seeing that it can pay off in the future. I have a photo. I'll have to show you next time, Willie, that I, I see you. But um, I have this photo of that little girl that I was signing her jersey. And I told myself, I said, you know what? Like, yes, I'm doing this for myself, but I'm doing yeah. what I'm doing, putting my, my time, my effort, my blood, sweat, and tears, my tireless hours in for those little girls that they can still hope to be where we are today. We're talking to Savannah Horvath, former Nevada Gator and Player of the Year at a Centennial Softball, USA Today National Junior Player of the Year, played with the National Pro Fast Pitch League, and now a Vegas Viva, the Golden Knights cheer squad. And that is a great segue transition because if there's one thing that I – how many times have you gotten a text from me when I can – or a DM on Instagram if I can, if I can catch the video on time? It, you know, it's one thing when you're warming up, but how many times have I – or I just message you – my favorite parts are when you're down the aisle and the little girls come out and dance with you because the look on your face, it's so revealing to the, the satisfaction you get when these little girls are looking up and emulating. I think that that's one of your favorite moments. Oh, 100%. It really is. And, like, softball and dance and being part of the NHL and things like that, like, it all co- kind of corresponds with each other. Um, it. Is exactly that. Like I have it. There's girls and young children, not just girls too, but young children who have dreams, and it makes my heart so happy that I can be inside the fortress um, on any given game day and make either the same young little girl or boy's day from the game before, or a brand new child from I've never seen before. It's the sweetest thing, and it makes my heart so happy because. You never know what anybody's going through at any given time, whether they're five years old or 45 years old, you know. And so the smallest things make the biggest difference in somebody's day. Right. And, and I think that, you know, you, you see like the Raiders got here, the Golden Knights. They've really we get these emails out in the community, out in the community. And I don't think that people appreciate and realize how much the spirit squads, the Vivas, the Raiders, how much they have an obligation. When, so you just – you just made the audition. You're going to be on the squad again. But there's a commitment outside of showing up for game days, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. It's um, 
our coach tells us all the time, and we kind of chuckle at it because it's, it's a true statement. It's the fullest part-time job you'll ever have, and uh, but it's so worth it. It's so it's so invigorating being out in the community because you know our fans they love our boys on the ice and they love our boys on the field, but we as the Raiderettes or the Vivas or the Night Guard or the Bells and the Nightline, like we are all. Ex- of our boys, you know, and so they, we are the tangibles that the, the fans can actually interact with, get close to, get to know us, and we get to be like that extension of our guys that we all just love and adore. What, um, what has been, have, have you had a moment where that, because I mean, you are such a, uh, you, you're never not with a smile, um, <laughs> but has there been a moment in your, I think this will be the fourth year, yeah. Okay. Has, has, has there been a moment with a young and that has brought you to tears? Um, in a good way. I was gonna say in a good way. Yeah, <laughs> I don't come to tears very often, sad wise. But um, no, there has been good times. Um, being that we've talked a little bit about my past, like I am a former athlete. Like I've never danced or anything like that prior to making this team back in season three. Um, so there's a lot of times where I do get a little overwhelmed. But yeah. there's more times than often where, yes, because I don't have a dance background, things do come a little harder to me. But when I work my, like, I just work so hard and I put my mind to it. I, I drive everything into the ground as hard as I can because that's my athletic nature, right? Yeah. But I work so hard. And when something finally clicks for me in the dance side of things and, like, I struggle and struggle and struggle, but I work hard and I never give up. I never let up and I do my things on my own. And when it finally hits and it comes to me, I get overwhelmed with emotion. And it's like, you work so hard and you finally see the payoff. That's what makes me emotional and I get excited about. Wow. Well, you took it to a different avenue that I was going to, but you opened up yourself a little bit there, and, which was <laughs> awesome. And I appreciate that. I was I was thinking you were going to give me something. Well, there was this little girl and she did this and she brought me to tears. But that was awesome. I really appreciate it because there's a sign of vulnerability and a little bit of mental health for people. And you know how much I promote mental health. Absolutely. Savannah, I appreciate you. I'm glad you're back from Nashville. I cannot wait for our <laughs> very first traditional opening night. What? Photo. Photos with Savannah. So, so, yes, she, she brags about my suit. Savannah Horvath, check her out on social media. If you see her at a Golden Knights game, she'll be more than happy to take a picture with you. She is one of the best. Sav, thanks for joining us on Throw the Flag. Thank you, Willie. Have a good day, everybody. We'll see you soon. Take care. Uh, Savannah Horvath joining us Throw the Flag. Gooch and Willie on ESPN Las Vegas at Treasure Island Golden Circle Sportsbook. We are going to close things up in a moment as we wrap up. Our third episode of Season 2 on Throw the Flag. Back to Treasure Island. And uh, they'd find the MGM Garden, which is right there in Vegas in the Strip, and I'd be out of there. And uh, it was always great, man. But it is true exactly what people say. Like, it's fun for the glitz and glamour, the excitement. I couldn't imagine living there. Right? It's, what, it's the opposite of the city of Ottawa. Because Vegas is great to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there. So that was, as I mentioned at the top of the show, a Canada spot I did earlier this week. By the way, I'm Willie Ramirez, your gooch. This Thank is Throw you. the Flag on ESPN Las Vegas. We are at the Treasure Island Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. That was an interview that I did, a spot in Calgary earlier this week. They messaged me, hey, can you come on the show? Just basically talking about sports in Las Vegas. 
And um, I'm listening ahead of time, right, to prepare myself properly. Steve Cofield has molded me prop, you know, prepare yourself. So I'm listening an hour and a half in to everything that they're talking about, picking up on things that I make. And I hear them about to talk. They, they tease the hour, saying we're going to talk to Adnan Burke, and then we're going to bring in Willie Ramirez from Las Vegas. And all of a sudden, Las Vegas becomes a topic. Becomes a topic of what you heard, you know, well, no, nobody really wants to live there. People that we, we know, uh, we know people that cover sports there, but they really don't like it. Then they bring Virk on, and he, he's so. But I had an answer for him, Gooch. I Please, did ha- I did have an defend answer your him. city. I thought we were going to have some fun. I thought we were going to talk sports, but I feel like I had to come home, come on and defend my hometown. I'm listening to you guys all morning. You bring on Adnan, and I hear some bashing of Las Vegas. I've been here since 1972. I love my city, guys. <laughs> hey, <laughs> now. <laughs> Let's, whoa, uh-oh. I caught, I caught him. Yeah. You hear him? Backtracking? Yeah. But we, whatever. Enjoy your Labatt's Blue. It's a Canadian beer. Oh, I know yeah. what it is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> by, the, by the time I was done with them and, 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 and the, everything that we talked about, they, they had a different tune. They said that they'll keep my number and have me back on. And this is Calgary? It was Calgary. Sportsnet 960. They were, I mean, they were cool. They were, you know, I'm we, sure they were we, great we, guys. We had fun with it. Um, but it, they were trying to say that you know, there are people that they come out here and they're working out here, but, they're, but they actually don't like And I think that there's more to it. Because I, you know, like I love my city. I love talking old Vegas, right? The, the bellman who walked up and said, I got old Vegas stories. He loves hearing the old Vegas stories. There are per- certain aspects that I don't like what's happened to my city, obviously. I don't like the corporate structure that's just completely, right. you know, blown things up and the traffic and the this and the that. There are certain aspects that I miss old Las Vegas. So it makes you, it, ha- it, it creates a little bit of animosity toward the new Vegas. I get it, but I don't dislike my city. No. So I, and when I heard that, I really had to – I got defensive. Well, especially when you got how many people moving here. Right. Are, are they going to droves to Calgary? <laughs> I understand that, yeah, we, there's sometimes where the weather can be crazy hot and it's kind of tough to, to leave your house sometimes. But you're trying to pretend on the opposite side of the spectrum, Calgary doesn't have like 12 inches of snow and – Freezing. I did comedy in Edmonton one time during the winter. I couldn't believe. I was like, this is a shock to the system. But the people that are used to it, they love it. They love it. You just got to get used to it. Give it some time. If you live here in Vegas, if you're fresh to Vegas and you're new to it, just give it some time. Find, find a crew. Find something that you're into. Spend time around people that are into the same things that you win, and I promise you, you will find a group of friends, and you will love it here because there's always something to do. There's always entertainment. And once you've moved here and you've gotten the I live in Vegas sort of vibe out of your system, there's more to Vegas. Like, you know, I'm trying to – now that the temperature's cooling down, there are two of my favorite hikes up in Red Rock that I'm yeah. at. You know, there are other Valley aspects of, of this town that you can go to out in Boulder City, the historic Boulder City and Lake Mead, obviously. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of history in this town. But huh. this show is history. Today's show. Anyway. Today's show is history. Season 2, Episode 3 is in the books. We'll be resurrected next week. Gooch, Willie Ramirez, Jed to my left, Dimon, quarterback of things from the box, ESPN Las Vegas. Make sure you listen to the Aces game later. Come down and join Cofield and company at Treasure Island Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar next Friday and join us next Saturday. We out.